You are listening to Talking Images, the official podcast of icmforum.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Chris, and this will be a bit of a rougher and less polished episode of Talking Images. Michael Snow passed away this Thursday, January 5th, 2023. He was 94, and we are recording this episode uh, as a special tribute on Sunday the 8th. Uh, hopefully to be able to publish uh, already today. Uh, luckily, I have it on good authority, at least from man's films, that less, uh, shall we say, even audio and even glitches are not a particular concern. Perhaps even a badge of honor. So, should there be any sounds that deviates from conventional quality standards. I believe we have the approval of Mr. Snow himself. For anyone coming into this episode blind, Michael Snow is one of the most respected and important experimental filmmakers in cinema history and a part of the structural film movement, designing films by fixed patterns, such as uh, his most acclaimed films, Wavelength, in the region central, the former taking place in a single room as a static camera zooms towards an unknown point, and in the latter, a robotic camera on top of a mechanical arm captures the Canadian wilderness based on a program written by Snow himself. This was, by the way, in the early 70s. In this episode, we'll talk about why Michael Snow is an important artist, just how successful we think his experiments truly are, if their endurance tests mainly notable for the theory and ideas rather than the films themselves, or if they can actually be enjoyed, as these films can be pretty damn divisive. Along the way, we'll discuss Snow's biggest films, as part of the reason why this episode is about three days late is that we've actually been watching and re-watching. Uh, these films, and uh, I think uh, with no further ado, we can just break into that conversation and uh, bring in my co-host Saul, as while I'm a bit more on the fence towards uh, Mr. Snow's films, he is probably the biggest Michael Snow fan I know, uh, though perhaps because I just don't know that many Michael Snow fans, so... Uh, Saul, uh, maybe you can illuminate our listeners a little. Uh, how big of a Snow fan would you say uh, that you are? Hi, Chris. Hi, everyone. I'll say that I am a pretty big, massive Michael Snow fan, but I'm actually not the most massive on the forum. If the user 45-minute Zoom is listening to this, or, or Robert as he goes by on Letterboxd, is actually a much bigger Michael Snow film than Michael Snow film fan than I am. I think oh, yeah, I can tell from that his uh, username. Yeah, yeah completely title, yeah. Yeah, named after Wavelength. The Wavelength is in his all-time top four films. I like that one a lot, but not quite as much of that. And I think he's seen all of his features, including the hard-to-find ones, whereas I've still got a couple of Michael Snow films uh, that I haven't been able to track down. So I wouldn't say I'm the biggest one, but... Definitely, he's a director who speaks a lot to me. Out of all the experimental filmmakers out there, you think about like the Framptons and the Braggages, for me, Michael Snow is the peak one, the best one. And for me, why is the best experimental filmmaker is he doesn't just make experimental films just to play around with, manipulate things. They come with a constant sense of playfulness. 
I mean, it was a bit, I don't want to say disheartening, maybe not surprising, but it made the guy banana when you actually said in the intro that these films can be endurance tests because I don't really feel they are. I mean, La Region Central, okay, I do get it. That one's three hours and that's quite repetitive. And that's one of the only two films of his that I haven't rewatched. So I can get it with that one. But his other films are just so dynamic. I mean, even that 45-minute Zoom film, it's not a 45-minute Zoom. It's just made to look like a 45-minute Zoom. And there's all these yeah. different things you pick up along the way about things have been manipulated. And look, there's just no director for me other than Michael Snow, which is just so absolutely playful when it comes to experimenting with film form and challenging us in terms of what we see and what we see film as. Because film is, of course, you know, 24, 25 frames per second, and he's somebody who constantly challenges us to see that, about how things are constructed and put together. And most of his films actually even have a narrative in this. There's a bit of a narrative going along in there. But along the way, is constantly making us think about how everything has been constructed. And his best films are just, you know, absolutely hilarious. Also, it's not just playful, but like so is this is one of the funniest films I've ever seen. And it's not even listed as a comedy on IMDb. Yeah, you're completely right. And you actually answered my next question. I was going to try to ask you to sell uh, Michael Snow's films. I think you just did that. I don't think a lot of people think about Michael Snow and comedy, and maybe because they've only seen, for instance, Wavelength and La Riche and Centrale, and just left it at that. Just to extend it a little bit, and what is it that you would say it is that makes uh, Michael Snow's films so funny? That's a bit of a hard question to answer. Uh, I guess it's the way that he puts different bits and pieces together, and he sort of does it in ways that you're not quite expecting it i mean the whole idea of so is this is it's you know one word at a time but even with the one word at a time he's able to put surprise words in there or think about something like corpus colossum which is his single greatest film even though most people haven't seen it unfortunately it's just got so many different quirks and then we've got different things like parts of the background come out and start walking around and there's just you know <laughs> tons you know there's just tons of different surprises along the way and even things like back and forth or whatever like the camera goes up and you suddenly see a face there i uh, think about like presence in the uh final hour of it with some pans up and down just seeing unexpected bits of xxx in there there's just all these different things in there which you don't expect, and he sort of puts the unexpected in there, which makes it a bit more challenging. It's sort of funnier because you don't really see the jokes coming. I mean, lots of comedies you can watch and go, oh, I know what's going to happen. There's going to be a joke here and there. With Michael Snow films, it's much harder to predict, unless you've seen the film before, which makes it funnier when those bits and pieces do come along. And I just have to say that uh, just part of the reason we've actually been discussing doing a Michael Snow podcast for a while is because uh, I, I used to hate uh, Wavelength, and I have never seen uh, Corpus Colossum. So, uh, <laughs> the, the, I'm not gonna, uh, so Saul has been trying to push me towards those films, and uh, while I'm still not sold on Wavelength, we'll talk about that very soon, I actually did love Cor uh, Corpus Colossum. I think that, that's a really hilarious film. So is this if pretty damn funny as well. I think that's a film almost anyone could enjoy. So I would say even for those people who, you know, stop after his two biggest films, uh, th there might actually be something for you further down uh, the, the line. But before we just start diving into his films uh, one by one, let's just uh, talk a little bit about his... You can't hear me? 
Hello? Hello? Not this episode. Testing? Testing? Hello? Testing. Can you hear me? It's going green now. Hello? Testing, testing. Okay, I can hear you now also. I don't know what happened. That was very strange. That was something straight out of Corpus Colossum. Yes, this is... uh, We can keep part of that in, maybe. (laughs) Just just out of respect for... For uh, the the surprises that come along the way. So, so, uh, where did I fall out? Uh, You're talking about how funny So Is This was, and you're talking about something something a little bit after that but you were talking about how funny the films were and how people stop after wavelength and how that's so awful because wavelength and uh ridge and the central region are even his best films yeah that i mean not, not even by a, a, a long shot even to an extent but that, that's my personal uh, preference and i think that those two early films are obviously the most r- respected films so uh, I think it would be good to, uh, t- before we dive into the individual films, t- talk about uh, Michael Snow's place in the can, because obviously he has a really large spot there. He is respected for a, a reason. Why do you think that he belongs there? Like w- w- Beyond you know personal taste, etc. W- 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 what do you think it is that makes Michael Snow belong in, in the can of key directors? Well, I'm pretty much going to end up repeating myself, but just because, <laughs> just because of how much he challenges film form. Mm. I mean, he's one of those key directors who's. Uh, I'm surprised you don't like his films more because he's all about the artificiality. He bring constantly brings out how artificial and how constructed his films are. You know, constantly manipulating time, how long images last for, in present, stretching out the frame. Uh, playing around with sound recording in Ramo's nephew. I mean, he's constantly always challenging the way movies are constructed. And, you know, I think he's the person who does the best job of that. that that's an interesting point. And, and I, I agree to a degree. I think that's what I love about part of his uh, films, and especially what I love about uh, Corpus Colossum. Um, and I think it's also interesting that there's a lot of directors who says, you know, that are on record as being inspired by him that I love. I mean, uh, Chantal Ackerman says, you know, Wavelength was a big inspiration to her. I love Chantal Ackerman. Um, uh, even Martin Scorsese says he was inspired by <laughs> Michael Snow, which I can't quite see. I, I need to look up the context that was said. But, uh, like Peter Greenaway clearly inspired. And, uh, there, there's also, like, my favorite director is John Luc Godard. He does very, similar things where he plays around with the medium and uh, you, you know can drag out the sequence play around with uh, with sound etc so that there might be some barriers left between me and snow and just for the record i did re-watch um wavelength the day it was announced that uh, he had died and it did uh, grow for me i enjoyed it far more than i did uh, the first time i saw it and uh, it's possible that, you know, as they grow older, uh, uh, I will like uh, his films even more. I, I think the big hang-up for me uh, with his films is that they aren't that composed. Uh, as in, uh, it's, they're not traditionally visually beautiful. And, and that's not the key part for me. I can enjoy films very well that aren't, you know, uh, strikingly beautifully uh, composed. 
but like there's something about, a little bit of just about the, the quality of uh, of the immersion of of the shots that I always found a little bit little bit of putting like again I always thought in my head like if say Godard had made wavelength there would have been a lot more you know you know color in that shot and, and I can see you I like to speak so because I can see that your reaction is a bit dumbfounded. <laughs> it's not so much dumbfounded, but it's just like the point of the film is that it doesn't look pitch perfect, doesn't look... Yeah, exactly. I know. I know. I completely agree. So that's why I'm saying that uh, like, I, I can see that as part of the appeal. So, but, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there that I can appreciate that part of the appeal yet. So, so hopefully in due time. But uh, I, I, I still really enjoy several of his uh, films. I, I loved Corpus Colossum. So l let's see. I mean, it's been well over a decade since I first saw Wavelength. It must be like 15, 18 years ago, maybe I first saw Wavelength. So uh, I went from hating it to appreciating it, uh, even, even liking it. Let's see in 15, 20 years if, <laughs> if I suddenly love all of Michael Stell's films, you know? But, but on that note, let's actually dive into his first, I guess you could call it a feature. It's about 45 minutes. It's, of course, wavelength. And this is the first, like, some people call it the Citizen Kane of experimental filmmaking. It, it's arguably, like, one of the films people lift up as the most important experimental film uh, of all time. Why do you think uh, that is? I think what's most effective about wavelength is the fact that not, I guess maybe not so many, but a lot of people or a few people sit down and view it and go, oh, that was just a 45-minute Zoom to – wait, can I spoil it? <laughs> You're allowed to spoil Wavelength, okay. so it's fine. So, it's fine. so there's a lot of people go down, like uh, people we call our check whores on the, uh, on the ICM <laughs> forum who just want to, like, get a check on a list or whatever. will sit down and watch it. Or somebody who's following, maybe they shoot pictures. It's not a check whore, but somebody just – once they complete the day shoot pictures, this will sit down and watch and go, oh, there was just a 45-minute zoom to a picture of a wave. But what's so oh, great that's a about... spoiler. No, that's a spoiler. So. <laughs> no, you said I could spoil it. Yes, yes it's okay. It's yeah, okay. okay. Um, now, where was I? Um, it, look, that isn't a spoiler, really, because that's not really sort of what the film is about. I mean, the whole idea is that it's that illusion of a zoom. And the fact, I think, why so many filmmakers are inspired by it is because they're seeing all of these regular viewers going, that's a 45-minute zoom, when it actually isn't. Michael Snow's just been incredibly clever with it and played around with it. It's got, it's got the illusion of being a 45-minute zoom. Now, he constantly, uh, you know, changes the colours. He's inversing the colours. Uh, the shots are dissolved together. And there's lots of editing in there, and it completely blurs the sense of time. So even though it is technically, if you look at when you start watching it on YouTube, when you finish watching it, it is 44 minutes or whatever it is, it actually isn't because the thing is taking place along a longer period of time, and yet it's creating this illusion of being, you know, 45 minutes. So, you know, I sort of like liken it to, you know, arrival on the train maybe where it sort of like seems like the train's coming out towards you and if you saw that film back in you know circa 1900 you might have run out the room you know it's the same idea of the illusion over here i've got this illusion that it's a 45 minute zoom you got all these people going oh it's just a zoom but it actually is and it's so much more dynamic than that 
And then, of course, I guess the other thing which I really like about it, but that's maybe a personal thing, is just the story behind it. I mean, the film's actually a bit of a murder mystery. You know, they've got this thriller, they've got a resident who's murdered, and, you know, nobody comes to investigate the murder, and his body just remains there. And we have no idea how long it remains there. Is it for 45 minutes? Because the film is 45 minutes long. Is it happening over days or weeks or months or hours? We have absolutely no idea how long it's happening because Michael Snow is putting all these different editing or these different transitions in, in there. So, yeah, I just find it incredibly dynamic. And the only thing which I don't like about it that much is definitely the varying pitch sound design. I mean, that's why it would only be my fourth favourite Snow film rather than being the top one up there. But, yeah, in terms of what it does, you know, I can definitely understand uh, why this one's such an influential film. I can't believe that the pitch sound is what you what you're uh, criticizing because that's like that's something that goes through so many of his films. That idea of like the uh, static noise in the background and uh, it it kind of just uh, lulls you into a bit of a uh, complacency with it. I, I completely agree. Like I, I really enjoy the way well you can the choppiness of it. It is it, really interesting the uh, the way you can see that there's all of these potential time jumps and you don't necessarily know what's going on. You can see the changes in colors. It, it changes focus. Sometimes the streets uh, above are you know completely just light coming in. Sometimes the room becomes completely black uh, and you can uh, see the outside of the outside perfectly uh, and you just have all of these noises it's it's that part's really interesting and the zooming on the wave is it, a really fun joke in a way like it's called wavelength and it ends up on a wave it, it, that's one of the first indications perhaps that michael snow is uh, a little bit of a experimental comedian and um, I, I i read uh, jonathan rosenbaum's uh, review on wavelength which was republished after uh, michael snow's death and he described it as a mystery uh, film and I, you might agree there too but part of the mysteries that he said uh important thing that excited him was that he didn't know where the zoom was going and he talked about how you know he was sitting there trying to find all of these clues that the what elements of the frame was important and that there were like these um clues along the way that there were misdirections i guess uh, the, the the person you know coming and dying falling on the floor uh, the people carrying in uh, the shelves uh, like there's, there's all these little things happening but none of that's really uh, i guess relevant to where the zoom uh, is going so that, that was one of the things that really interested uh, Jonathan Rosman. so I, I, I thought that was a really interesting take yeah, I haven't read that before, but I absolutely love that take from Rosenbaum because I can definitely see that when a camera does start to zoom in in any film, not just a Michael Snow film, unless it's a very quick zoom, you actually have no idea where it's going to be zooming into or what's it actually going to end up landing on. So I do love that. And I, do, I do agree it's a mystery film. I guess, yeah, beyond the murder or whatever, there's just a lot of mystery in terms of, you know, what is actually going on. You know, I think when we had... Uh, ben on and we're doing the found footage podcast he described it as a found footage film and it does have a bit of that vibe in there so is there this camera that's been set up in the room and then what is it actually doing there was it put there to capture the murder what's happening to it uh yeah it is incredibly interesting and the other thing i just mentioned is that i do feel the film is sort of about death i mean one of the things that i did write about it when i wrote a review on it um 
couple of years ago and when I rewatched it is uh, that uh, death is death, regardless of whether he's discovered one minute later or one week later. So it's sort of the idea that Snow's manipulating time to sort of show us that he is, you know, he's died, he's a dead body there. Uh, we could try and suppose, you know, when he's been discovered, but either way, you know, he's dead. You know, that part of it's final in there. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm probably just... Um, rambling on a bit at the moment but it is a film that i find incredibly interesting and one that i guess you know i find i guess i wouldn't say disappointing but you know i guess i feel a bit like the filmmakers when somebody describes a 45 minute zoom just going like ah you have no idea what you're missing out on yeah that that's completely true i mean like you said part part of it is looped you can see like a ghost of some of the key events which are just like played back over over the frame you have all of this play with light uh and and it it cuts as well like there's some points you can kind of see that you know the amount of windows for instance you see are not the same amount after the after the light changes you have all of these little things so if you're not on your toes you're you're missing a lot and it's a very visual, visual experience, even though it's, it's, uh, so raw in, in a lot of ways. So yeah, it, it's great early experiment by Michael Snow. And I think it, it's easy to see why a lot of people, especially if they're not paying attention to it, uh, would be dismissive of it as a 45 minute zoom. It's clearly not that. Though I can also see people noticing everything in it and, you know, still not being quite uh, for them, especially if they, you know, would have preferred a more traditional murder plot. But to move on to a similar experiment that has even less uh, of a plot made two years later, back and forth, which is very literally the camera moving back and forth. And here I was actually captivated very early. It's you're outside of a school. You see, you just see Michael Snow setting up what's going to happen. I think he moves the camera back and forth, left, right, left, right. And then we're inside of the classroom, and the pattern repeats itself: left, right, left, right. And at some point, things start to happen. Things change, and at some point, he actually changes the formula completely too. But we can get into that later. But it's just such a, a basic idea and, and i think uh, this is one of those things that we will tie back to you know why michael snow is a key artist too like it's a basic idea but no one else were doing this like what happens with our perspective when you know you just apply this technique and then you start cutting it up and adding things and uh, surprising us a, a little bit and i think this uh, this is one you appreciate even more than wavelength right so yeah no i'd say back and forth or I don't know how you want to pronounce it using symbols. So it's called. Yeah, I was <laughs> yeah, I know. Like it broke the eye check movie system, and it was an eye check movies because I had the greater than less than sign in there. There couldn't be links to it. So, um, yes. so, uh, <laughs> less than dash 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 greater than no. So, so back and forth. Uh, yeah, look for me, it's uh, Michael Snow's third best film. So I would uh, rate it above wavelength. I guess what I like about it so much is the false sense of security that Michael Snow uh, gives us and then entirely breaks because you've got an entire first 11 minutes where it's just rocking back and forth, to and fro, to and fro, but then suddenly different things start to happen. You know, people pop up randomly, the speed changes, the directions change, we start to see strange things in the windows, 
or do we? So there's sort of a bit of an illusion in there. You know, I was sort of watching and going, you know, am I imagining this? Is this really there? You're actually not sure because the camera never stays still. It's constantly rocking back and forth. Anything that you see is entirely blurry. So it's actually even a bit scary, I guess, that you can maybe just call it a Michael Snow horror film. It is a bit freaky. <laughs> yeah, I yes, I mean, there's, there's a moment when suddenly, the, the room is a lot darker and it pans in and there's like just this shadow standing there and it's, it's very ominous. Yeah, or sitting no, there, rather. No, definitely. So, I mean, I know that might sound a bit overreaching, but, you know, it is incredibly unsettling and it, all he's done to achieve that is by having the rocking back and forth for 11 minutes, making us so secure in what's happening and then mm. everything beyond that, like, totally shudders our world, which is something which Michael Snow can do so well and he's so capable of. And the only thing, other thing I think I'd mention before I let you chime in yourself, Chris, is what I noticed the second time around when I was watching it is the film's set in a classroom and the thing that came to mind when i was re-watching is that it sort of like feels like you're in the classroom zoning out you know if it's not a very interesting lesson you're going to get distracted by different things around the room and noticing things around the window so i actually sort of felt a bit like a student in the classroom there in a repetitive lesson getting distracted by things that are less repetitive than what i'm actually learning about yeah, it possibly, yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I can just say, first of all, that when you know we have about 10, 11 minutes of just the camera moving back and forth, I, I can see why a lot of people might start checking out a little. But the constant movement does involve you. And one of the things that really impressed me on the rewatch, because it's been such a long time that I saw this film, was that what I remembered. Uh, kind of was that, you know, he would pan away and you pan back and it would be like a cut or something and someone would suddenly be there. But that's not really the film. Like most of the time he cuts on action. So the camera will actually be moving and you'll be seeing the camera move as people pop into the shot. So they won't like, it won't just pan to someone being there. People will just be walking. Uh, like you just be a sh- sharp cut at the exact same point and someone will be there walking. And that's, just struck me as really impressive and the camera moves so fast as well that it's uh, it's just like a blink of an eye suddenly something is there and th- this kind of editing just keeps happening and uh, it's a really unique uh, effect um w- once again i guess i'll i'll just show off my semi philistine nature a little bit in that uh, i would honestly have preferred it if it wasn't that blurry and uh, I was a little bit frustrated by, you know, how this clearly shot at different times of the day with different lights. I and mean, that's probably part of the effect uh, he's creating as well. One of those things I'll appreciate more if I see it again, like you said, in 15, 20 years. But uh, that that part of it, uh, like the fact that, you know, it, it doesn't always look like it's a, con- a continuous uh, back and forth. You, you can see that things are shot at different points of the day and then edited uh, together due to the light coming in. Is, is that an advantage for you or, or a negative? Oh, look, look, for me, it's a bit of a plus. I mean, I don't know if listeners will be able to hear it, but I did audibly sigh when, uh, when Chris complained about it being so blurry because for me, you know, that's the very point of the film that you're not able to focus on anything. You've just got the rocking back and forth and other things happening in front of the camera. And I guess that's a technique which Snow sort of used a bit throughout his other films. I and mean, we'll get to that a little bit with uh, La Region Central and with Presence. He's sort of got that in there also. That he doesn't like us to fixate on different things. I mean, even 45 minutes 
I call it 45 minute Zoom, even wavelength, the supposed 45 minute Zoom film or whatever, isn't just one static shot. And I think, you know, Snow just absolutely loves movement or love movement. Unfortunately, he's passed away now. But yeah, it's just um, yeah, the blurriness for me, yeah, it, it makes the film or whatever that you want to be able to concentrate and see who's popped up at the window. You want to be able to see who's sat in the classroom, but you can't see because the camera keeps going back and forth and back and forth. So yeah, to me, it actually really makes the film. Yeah, that, that's a really good defense. And I, I think that that part actually is, is an advantage as well to blurriness. I was talking about the transition of time, but, but I, I can see that too. And, Listen, I, I like the film, uh, and I like the film far more this time than the first time, so I, I'm on uh, the right uh, path with uh, back and forth. Um, moving to uh, his second biggest film, La Région Centrale, or Central, which is probably uh, one of the most singular films ever made. It's uh, the Second film, the only other film, The Wavelength, that tends to show up at the top of just a lot of key lists. It's on the extended uh, sight and sound list from 2012. It's obviously high, or, or it, it's in the top 600, I believe, of They Should Picture Stonte. It's a film that a lot of people uh, respect a lot. And it's really unique in that, you know, you have a robotic arm, uh, you have a robotic with a camera on it, and Michael Snow wrote the program for it. This is again 1971, or even earlier, when this was actually done. And it, it just moves in specific uh, patterns, it you know, spins around. It's essentially like, a, I think the way some people have been describing this film, especially many of the fans, is that uh, it's like a, an, a, an alien planet sent a drone to, or a robot to investigate Earth, and this is the kind of images they would you know, receive back, that's what some people say. Um, but you just have these very inhuman shots, I guess. It is like Earth captured in a way that no one else really has before. And even though, like it is three hours, it's a film. I, it's the only film I did not rewatch uh, for this episode of the ones we'll be discussing. It's a film I really struggled with the first time. I, I can see myself enjoying it more now for sure. Um, what is it you like the most about Origin Central? Okay, so Region Central is the only snow film that I've seen more than five years ago that I haven't rewatched. So, I mean, I haven't rewatched Ramu's uh, nephew or Presence yet, but I only saw Presence yesterday. So, but uh, but uh, yeah. So, uh, in terms of the ones that I saw at the beginning of my film journey, I've I've seen all those snow films twice, except for La Region Central. So. For me, it is his weakest film, but not so much due to the length, because obviously Rami's nephew is much longer. I think it's like an hour and a half longer or something. But it's just that I guess I find the region central less playful. And like I said at the start, playfulness is what I like the most about Snow's work. But in terms of what I like about it, because you didn't ask for the positives, I've just gone immediately to the negatives, which I shouldn't. Although I'm sort of like tempted to because people go like, oh, I've seen Wavelength, I've seen uh, La Region Central, I don't want to see anything else from Snow. And I go to myself, oh my God, you know what you're missing out on. So uh, I tend to you sort of get a bit more negative on La Region Central. But look, I did think it was a good film when I saw it, uh, even if I didn't think it's quite as high up there with his other films. I just want to go back to my review from a few years ago because that's probably where I'm going to say it most accurately. So uh, what I wrote at the time is... 
Using a camera specially built for the film, the shots are far from ordinary and are deliberately disorientating to the point that one loses track of what is up and what is down. The camera spins itself in both horizontal and vertical axes. The, then there's nighttime footage in which snow intentionally blurs the line between the sky and the ground, and there's also subtle changes of speed. So I guess for me, it's the losing track of what's up and down, which you get a little bit of that in presence also, plus also blurring what's the uh, sky and what's the ground. That's a very snow thing to do. And also the change of speeding it throughout most of Snow's career. The things that he's doing is constantly trying, playing around with frame rates, uh, especially things like so is this, how long are those things on screen for? So there is a lot going on in La Region Central. I guess just overall, I didn't quite find it as playful and as amusing as the films, which I consider to be Michael Snow's best. Yeah, and I guess that's the experiment uh, as well, because, you know, there's, there's not a lot of you know places where he could insert jokes into this. Like, like you said, he he blurs uh, he blurs the line between the sky and the ground. There's like obviously we we see shots that are upside down, etc. So there there's playfulness there, but it's a film that's really just captured by his arm and then played around with, and edited by Snow later. But it it, it doesn't have the same. Um, degree of agency from snow as for instance so is this or presence etc has so we will get into the or or, or the next film coming up uh, which is uh, i'm gonna say the full title Ramiro's nephew by Diderot thanks to Dennis Young in parentheses by Vilma Schoen and uh, in the, the film itself, this title keeps expanding. You know, he explains that it's uh, also based on the Cameron. It's based on the Bhagavad Gita. It's, uh, and you have this, uh, this man with a bit of a stutter reading all of this. Uh, almost a little bit like a prequel to, or, or first version of So Is This in a way, with like one word popping up at a time, which seeing this after So Is This uh, made, made me uh, laugh a bit. Um, I, I think this is also a film you appreciate far more than me. Though here there's some segments I absolutely love, um, especially this. I think it's the third. I'm calling them segments because essentially the way the film is made up is that uh, it's almost like experimental sketch comedy, but some of the sketches are forty, fifty minutes. <laughs> um, where you know you have like there's this one on the plane for instance where they, where you just have these people having a conversation but most of their words are uh, chopped off so they'll be starting a sentence but it's never finished or they will say things that doesn't quite intersect uh, at one point Snow randomly shows up himself playing a trumpet um, the to just say random things. Some of them are jokes. At some point, Michael Snow himself just off-screen instructs them on what to say, so he'll say what they say, and then they will say them. Um, the camera moves in various directions. Sometimes they're up, up and down, and it cuts so frequently. It's just like a few seconds almost per per um, per piece of film stock, and then it's, it, it cuts again, and it's really funny. I also, there's one at, at the, almost the very beginning with... you. Uh, Jonas Mekas, where there's a voice that speaks from inanimate objects and they're trying to figure out where, where it's coming from. And it's just really playful. Some of the, if you will, again, sketches aren't that fun. Like the, uh, the, there's some that 
are a bit more similar to, I guess you could say, wavelength or back and forth that revisit some of those ideas that are more technical that I didn't connect with that much this time. But these, again, I'm going to call them sketches, are really all over the place. You might not enjoy one, but the next one could be really fun uh, or really enjoyable, do something you really connect with. So uh, it's obviously a mega work. It's four hours and 15 minutes long. What are your key takes takeaways from uh, Ramirez's nephew? Oh wow, you've sold that one really well, Chris. I'm not even sure I've got much to add to that. Uh, I, I do want to say that even though it is over four hours long, it is an absolutely incredible film. When I first saw it, I actually described it as Corpus Colossum for the 1970s because it sort of felt like that with the uh, grade uh, scope that Snow's taking on. But, of course, Corpus Colossum is mostly about visuals, whereas for me, uh, Ramu's Nephew is all about sound and I guess the absurdity of using sound to communicate. You've got all these characters uh, speaking in gibberish and sometimes the gibberish sounds like words and then you go to self action and it's just gibberish, it's not actually words. The airplane sequence that you described, yeah, that one's absolutely amazing. The uh, part with that piece of cheese, is that talking? Is something else talking? So it's all about the fact that we live in this world where we use sound and sound is used as a form of communication and yet maybe that's not the most logical way to communicate. So it's sort of poking fun at the ridiculousness of it, the absurdity of it. I think the title is absolutely perfect, the fact that it's impossible to pronounce. Uh, I think the narrator from memory has trouble pronouncing the uh, very long credits in the film also. So a lot of it's about pronunciation. I think you need to be able to pronunciate words to be able to communicate, but, you know, should you be able to? And I think the title just does an amazing job of just showing, you know, how complex language is, especially when you want to denote, denote, connote, you know. If you, when you want to show ownership in something, you have to put something after something, or something before something, something in brackets, and the title just does an amazing job of that. So, um, yeah, I don't think I really have much to add beyond that. The only thing which I'd put out as a recommendation for anybody who hasn't thought about diving into it is that the film was long unavailable on home video or on streaming services, and then movie dug it up in January or February 2021. And I watched it and a bunch of other people, Snow fans, watched it. And we actually managed to get it here towards the very top of the doubling the canon, uh, which was only two months later. So made a big impression on me and a lot of other people there. It's definitely one of those key experimental films. And the four hours, 15 minutes doesn't feel like four hours, 15 minutes. It's not anywhere near as repetitive as the region central. And it's definitely one of his most dynamic and challenging films. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I felt like, you know, I had to get to it now as well, because it's in the top 10 of the Double in the Canon uh, top thousand, which is like a, a supplement uh, to the uh, Daily Pictures Don't Day list, which, which looks at the films that have not been included there. Uh, and that's just really thoroughly, thoroughly impressive. And I can see why this film, you know, is awe-inspiring. I think it's it's funny to note that Michael Snow actually, you know, he wrote in the Sight and Sound uh, poll. He wrote for three of his own films in in the poll. And uh, this was one of the films he, he selected. So he's clearly trying to, you know, ride, he was clearly trying to ride the wave of seeing, like, can I get this this on the list or the extended list or you know, see what happens? 
Yeah, no, that's a great point that Snow actually liked the film that much. I mean, when I saw his battle, I was a bit disappointed that he had, you know, Wavelength and La Region Central in there, but no Corpus Colossum, or so is this. But, you know, I guess he's just going with his two most acclaimed. And this other one, which I think there's been a resurgence of comments, so it's not just, you know, movie unearthing it, but, you know, people commenting it on movie, people logging it on Letterboxd. I think there's been quite a flurry of activity for Ramu's nephew since it was released by movie just over two years ago. And uh, to move on to another film that has some similarities with uh, Corpus Colossum, and uh, a film with, uh, which I'm a little bit split on, because I, I actually really loved the first uh, 20 to 30 minutes, but after that, it once again went into a territory where I'm where, you know, I'm doing what I'm seeing, but I, I'm not fully absorbed, and that is uh, 1981's Presence. I can probably let you present it, so I'll just say that the opening of this film uh, is probably one of the most interesting ones I've seen in the history of cinema, because he opens it with a scene completely compressed. You just have this little ray of light, and uh, in the middle we kind of see like the outlines of the colors uh, of what's in the picture. It's just completely smashed together, like a, it's this one tin vertical line and then it slowly starts to expand and you still can't see what it is and at another point he compresses it uh, to a a horizontal line as well and you can see the image completely changing and and you see other things in there than uh, what's actually there you start looking almost like a landscape so uh, I, I think this, this, that's one of the most clever pieces of experimental uh, cinema I have seen, and it, it's just it's so truly inspired. Yeah, the opening of Presence, when I sat down and watched it last night, I was going, you know, this is possibly, you know, Michael Snow's single best film, you know, because that, that beginning is absolutely awesome. The way you've got like, that small slit, which, like, slowly comes out, and then it sort of like compresses down horizontally. And then the segment which follows that there, where you sort of have this film set that starts completely collapsing in on itself is just yeah. amazing because it is. Yeah, it just mirrors everything which he was doing with the film. So with the film stock itself or the film print, he's stretching that out and collapsing it down. And then with the film set, he ends up doing the exact same thing. So I absolutely love that. And I, Love the way the camera tracked up and down during that first half hour. You know, it reminded me of uh, Tuva Bien, the John Luc Godard film. But even things like Jerry Lewis says the ladies' man have done things like that, like an open dollhouse thing with the camera going up and down. So yeah, that was absolutely amazing. The set's collapsing in itself. You know, it was reminding me of like Jacques Tati and Playtime, where you know. Uh, Mr. Hulo ends up destroying some of the sets. They end up collapsing, and it gave me really strong vibes of that. Now, that's only 30 minutes of the film. The final hour of the film is definitely the most divisive. I was looking at Leatherbox comments afterwards, lots of comments to the same effect. So Christian, not alone with that. And personally, I was disappointed at first with the final hour of the film after that having such that dynamic star. But the second hour is, or the, not second hour, the final hour is actually quite interesting because what it consists of is a whole lot of horizontal and vertical pans set outside, so inside the set, but in outdoor sets, if you like, that are spliced together at the sound of a drum beat. And that might not sound too interesting, but in in true form for Michael Snow, 
there's no predictability to it. So some shots are vertical, then others be horizontal pans. Some of the shots last for a few seconds. Some last for a very long, not a very long time, but you know, a large number of seconds. So it reminded me a lot of so is this with, which of course came later, with how long different shots are lasting for and the different speeds they are, and also the direction in which the film was moving and the camera's moving. And like I mentioned earlier on in the intro with it, you know, this is part of snow being playful. You know, some of the shots we see in there, suddenly it's padding up or down. We see a face staring at the camera. It's just like so alarmed. It's just like the shot in back and forth. We see the person at the window and you go, whoa, there's something else happening. So just the, all these unexpected things pop up. And to me, it felt very snow-like. I guess for my life, yeah, I would have maybe liked a bit of a strong link between the first half hour and the second hour because it feels like they could be separate films but then again if you look at it from a film set point of view you know, first off he's collapsing the actual film itself by stretching it out and making it narrower then he's collapsing the sets and then he's going outdoors and of course outdoors you can't collapse an outdoor set because unless you get like all these earthing equipments and like dig up the ground and everything but he's doing as much as he can to collapse what's happening outdoors so all that's quite interesting and i don't know chris if you've got any theories about the title the title of course has got you know three different sorts of meanings it could be michael snow presents and that michael snow presents this film it could be presents as in like a present that you give to somebody so like a gift or it could be present like the present tense and I've, write, I've actually read quite a few interpretations where people are talking about it being the present and being the present inside the room and the present outside. And by manipulating all these shots together, uh, he's creating this sort of fake sense of what the present is. So definitely a very interesting title there. And I know films aren't all about the title, but, you know, it's one of those films. Like there was also a film about seven years ago called The Fit, which has three different meanings. And I just like love films like that where you can interpret the title in three or four different ways. I actually didn't think about the third meaning you were referring to there with uh, this being uh, various presents as the various parts of the present time. That That's a really... Uh... That's, that's a really interesting idea, and that 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 could work, especially for the uh, last hour. Yeah, I, I was also unsure if it was Michael Snow presents or uh, presents. I, I, I guess the small shots could be the presents. Uh, I, I don't know, or or you know, pieces of present time. That I, I'm not sure. I mean, I I will just say that, like you, I think that they could have been uh, separate films. I would probably appreciate both more in that case. Uh, I, I, because for the sec for the for the last hour, I was almost expecting something else to happen. I was uh, expecting this to be like, yeah, say, maybe for half an hour, and then we got a a, a third act, or not not the snow do, does acts. But I thought maybe there was something similar to Ramos' nephew going on, where we you know kind of get different uh, different visual ideas. But it's just two, and the first one, like I said, the first one, it's. So clever. You have them kind of walking on the stage that's moving. Uh, you have them walking on the stage that's moving and, uh, you know, trying to, you see them struggling with their balance. You don't really know what's going on. Like, why can't they walk? As soon as you see the walls shaking, it's like you hear it kind of stopping and things are slamming and then things completely change again. Uh, and that's just uh, so clever and dynamic. And the, the last hour, it's interesting, especially because, you know, it's not just random shots. It, it, there are pieces of the same story, if, if you will, um, that are cut together. So you get more of the same uh, visual, like you have 
hunting uh, trip where you see uh, where you see a kill. You have uh, a parachuter coming down. Uh, there's various things that kept keeps being revisited, and then yes, there are those kind of uh, sneak things to surprise you, and maybe check if you're still awake in there uh, as well. And I thought it was interesting the way it cuts with you know that cutting with that sound but i just didn't think those connections were that interesting to me it's enjoyable uh it's like you said it's a lot of what michael snow tends to do i also thought about back and forth a lot during it but it's just like you had the first part which is such a unique and cool concept with so much you know unique playfulness and then you get into something i'm not going to say conventional but just a little bit more of what you know, he had been uh, doing before. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's still a very good film. Uh, it's So yeah, and one I would definitely recommend, if only particularly just for that first half hour, because that's the only thing I think everyone should see. So you just mentioned something, Chris, which has actually put the film in high esteem, because you talked about the fact that with all the different shots in the final hour, they actually do come from different parts of the same story. And what that made me think about is you've sort of got, you know, wavelength where you've got all these different things put together and we sort of uh, make it seem like it's one single 45-minute zoom and then you've got like the opposite of that in presence where you've got all of these sort of bits and pieces and because they've been cut and spliced together, we can't actually see what the timeline is. And I was sort of thinking about that and going, you know, well, that's actually... uh, quite interesting you know maybe those are the presents there so he's got maybe the present of the person descending with the parachute the present of the surgery taking place uh the present of the part with the uh, porn star in there and all those presents being put together but spliced up you know it's sort of like an interesting film like i wanted to actually take it out and manipulate it and put it back put it back in order because I know that's what some Christopher Nolan fans did with Memento. They took it out and they re-edited it and put it back in order. I know people have done that with Pulp Fiction also. And I guess Presence could be the next film where somebody tries to do that. Your uh, next solo YouTube project, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but but for, for something, like, like you mentioned, for, for a film that kind of plays on with uh, this idea of you know keeping visuals uh, on screen for various lengths uh, of time, but w- with the exception of them not really being, uh, shall we say, uh, something that's... Well, actually, no, they haven't filmed. Uh, we can move to So Is This from 1982, um, which is filmed le- uh, film verge. So uh, Michael Snow wrote a script, He and then he shot the verge individually in different fonts, sizes, and he cut it together into a narrative uh, comedy of sorts that only consists of white verge on a black <laughs> uh, screen. So I think this is the, the one we talked about earlier. Like, this is his funniest film and I'm actually going to go out on a bit of a uh, stretcher and say that this is probably Snow's most conven- not conventional, that, that's the wrong word, most accessible film. I think this is one that people who aren't even into uh, experimental cinema or cinema at all could you know, sit down and watch and if not love, just really enjoy because there's just a lot of really straightforward, clear-cut comedy in this that's <laughs> that can be pretty hilarious. Yeah, I entirely agree that So Is This is Snow's most accessible film. 
I guess from my point of view, you know, it's sort of the, the disappointment for me is that it says one film, which is an unofficial check on iCheck movies. So because it's sort of the film which people who use that site aren't going to go out and watch because it's not on an official list, and yet it's the one which they're most likely to like because it does follow something which is, I guess, easier to follow. It's very dynamic. There's always something happening, so it's not like back and forth where you have to wait 11 minutes for something weird to happen. It's not like wavelength where if you're not paying attention, you don't realize that it's not a 45-minute Zoom. It's something where there's constantly something going on there. And it's just some of the hilarious things, you know, that Snow asks us in there, you know, does it seem, I don't know what he uses, frightening? Is it frightening that this film's going to go on for so much longer? And he has like a warning, and he has the word warning on the screen for ages. Because uh, what he's playing around with is not just like you did mention the uh, font and the font size, but also how long everything lingers on screen for. So, yeah, it's incredibly dynamic. And you wouldn't think that, you know, words on the screen, you go, oh, yeah, what can you do with that? But in terms of the font, the colour, how bright the white is, how long it lasts on there for, how short it's on there for, it all changes everything a lot. And he has some real big, it really pokes at film censorship with some of the things he puts in there. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's, I, I don't know how else I could sell it except just saying, yeah, it's... <laughs> so I've lost myself there. But, you look, it just is an incredibly funny film. There's a lot going on there, much more than you'd expect for a film which is just words on screen. And it is definitely one of the funniest films I've ever seen. Well, I guess we can say that, you know, it starts with, I think it starts with saying very slowly, this is the title of this movie. Uh, and at one point, a little bit later, it just continues and continues and continues, and it goes, so is this. And he continues and continues and continues. And uh, at one point, after I think 10 minutes, he's let's, he, I think it's, uh, he starts telling that, uh, you know, for uh, taking a pause so that the late comers uh, can get adjusted. And then he starts talking about maybe we should do a bit of a recap, and he goes back to start explaining <laughs> what happened in the first, <laughs> first 10 minutes. Uh, there's, uh, he starts talking about, like, why it took so long to make. He starts talking about, uh, like you said, the Canadian censorship sport. Starts sneaking in dirty words. Uh, and it, it's kind of like this just dynamic idea where he just kind of writes jokes for us or, or writes amusing little words, like uh, starts doing some meta comedy, like just... Uh, what we should do. And at one point says, like, this movie, because it's going to be very annoying for people who don't like uh, having people read over their backs, uh, which I, I guess doesn't work as well for a home viewing uh, audience, but uh, as in a, in a cinema, as this was originally shown, uh, that's it's, it's just a lot of really funny jokes about this. And then at one point, he even starts talking about how, you know, he didn't, he doesn't actually want, you know, his films to be for a niche audience, he just did what they had at the, at the time. And with this film, he's going to try to reach everyone, <laughs> at least the people who speak English. And then a little bit later, he says, a, a French version will be coming as well. And it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it, it's very, it's very amusing. And I, I think that, you know, anyone can really sit down with this. It's not, you know, a film that people would probably say is uh, pretentious. I think, you know, people could throw those kind of critiques at him. This is just because it's just, it's jovial. It's charming. It's just him putting himself out there and playing around with uh, with words. And it's, yeah, it, it just, it, it's not something that you need to even think about to understand. Like, 
you can probably use you know your knowledge about film to talk about the length of the shots or how everything's put together uh, and just how you know he he also use, still uses film and photographs etc to maintain a degree of suspense and uh, uncertainty and at one point he just directly addresses it too like yeah, he's like he apologizes for not being able to to uh, please everyone's speed and then he starts the same sentence in four different speeds so that everyone can get you know the speed that they're comfortable reading with so uh yeah it, it's 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 one of those films that, that yes it's an experimental film I mean, he references other films that play with words uh, as well, uh, but uh, I think it's like a, a certainly a film like unlike anything else I, I've seen, and uh, one that definitely deserves more credit. Well, you'd help get more credit, Chris, if you add it to your fi- uh, 500 under 400 list, and um, hopefully try and get it on there in the next update. Yeah, I'm still considering if I uh, if I uh, liked it that much. It, it's possible it it will go up there, but one film that I actually will put up there and we actually need to jump 20 years ahead in in time here uh to uh corpus uh, colossum uh but this is the film that i know you've been trying to sell me on for years i mean it's your favorite snow i believe and the one you said like even if you didn't you know love wave like like this is its most dynamic this is uh i think at the time you said it's it's just most funniest i'm not sure if you said that at that point because this so it's, it's probably a little bit more funny but it's it's a ride it's it's creative it's it's more fast-paced it's it's a bit i guess you could say it's like the first half or first half hour of presence, but you know it never div- really diverges away from that. It it has these core ideas. It's uh, and it's just so bloody playful, exper- experimental with everything. Uh, like you mentioned earlier in, in the intro, you know the, what we see as the walls suddenly sh- start changing. Uh, you, you kind of start off with these people walking in this uh, this door with the director giving instructions uh, to them to like now you're gonna walk walk a little bit faster walk a little bit slower they open the door they close it suddenly we're inside of uh, corpus colossum well, that's the that's the little uh, paper that's written on <laughs> on the on the door and then we get inside we get essentially get to an office and we just start spinning slowly over this office and it's like a continual shot because when you get to the wall and you go over the wall we start from the beginning again but things keep changing instructions are being uh, added in and you, you have things like everyone's suddenly being electrocuted but uh, like what's so amusing with this this film is that it's not just these tricks it's the experience of those tricks because after everyone's after that effect everyone falls to the floor and the actors become themselves again and they're kind of laughing about it and they get more instructions on what to do uh, and that's the kind of like this is Building on so is this, and just how meta this is communicating directly with the audience. This is so much of a film about just the joy of making a film, the joy of special effects, the joy of just joking around, and, and it just takes the best things of what I've enjoyed with Snow uh, from the beginning uh, and just works them all into almost like this magnum opus. And unlike Legion Central and Ramirez's nephew. Uh, this is just about 90 minutes long, uh, and it, it actually is tagged as a comedy on IMDb. So, uh, if you're into, you know, uh, experimental cinema, art house cinema, uh, but you didn't enjoy Wavelength, like, like we said earlier, it would be a shame to stop, because this is a film that I think is, 
opens itself up to far bigger audiences. If if not primarily all art house audiences, it's just it's just so much easier to just get into this film. Something is always happening. Something's always changing. What we're seeing on the screen changes. The actors suddenly changes and are different. It's just like all out crazy, joyous exercise of just what you can do with effects, computer effects in uh, the early two thousands. So you did describe. Corpus Colossum as Michael Snow's magnum opus, and I would agree with that. I'm not sure the best way to sell a film. There's a couple of things I could say. One of the things I will say is I can only think of two films in my life where I watched it, and the next day I wanted to tell somebody about it, but I couldn't even begin to describe the film. So one of those is Ray's Ravens or... Cuervos, uh, the one with Anna Torrent in it from the 70s, and the other film was Corpus Colossum. So it was my first Michael Snow film. I happened to see it because I think I was either working through the 21st century, they shoot pictures list, or the uh, Rosenbaum list. I was working through some list or whatever, and it was on, it wasn't very long, it was on YouTube, so I'm like, sure, I'm going to watch it, and yeah, just totally... Uh, knocked my socks off and you know it i've rewatched and it's to the point where i think it's possibly the best film of the century i'm not sure it's, it's definitely very high up there it, it's, oh wow yeah okay now that's the way of selling it it's Saul's favorite <laughs> film of the century oh well, yeah look i don't know i mean the century is only 21 20 no, 23 years old still and you can say yeah. best film of the zeros, <laughs> and the people would still be a bit, you know, dumbfounded and, and like feel the need to like, what what is this film that uh, you know Saul, Saul thinks this would be the best of the decade? But this is the best of the last twenty three years. That's uh, well, yeah, that that says, says something. Possibly, I don't know. The thing is that it's hard to write alongside other films because it's not a traditional narrative. So look, I haven't rated it as highly as something like. Um, Get Out, which is, you know, one of my favorite films from the century. So I don't know exactly just because it's so hard to rate it because it's so different from everything else. But it's definitely one of those films that spring to mind when people talk about, you know, best films of the 21st century. I sort of go, you know, this is one of those challenging films that, you know, is definitely high up there. What really appealed to me about it when I first watched it and even upon rewatch is that there is a narrative going along in there. So it's much easier for me to get into experimental cinema when there's a bit of a story going on and there is a story going on here. You know, for, for me, I guess it depends how you look at it because you're describing them as being actors, giving them instructions. The way I sort of looked at it is about these high rise office building workers who are being subjected to humiliating experiments that defy physics and human perception. So you've sort of got like this evil corporation who wants to do all these crazy things to their workers to find out what their reactions are. So like they're electrocuting them, uh, different things are happening to them, different things are coming out of the wall. But I guess beyond that, it's just like Michael Snow completely turning on its head everything we think about films and, yeah, about special effects. And, you know, there's um, one absolutely amazing part of the film where you've got somebody in a wheelchair who drives over the film that we're watching. So we think about the film as... Yeah, we're thinking about the film as being, you know, the fourth wall or whatever, and yet he's, like, driving over the fourth wall. So not as even as we're looking into this environment, he's going on top of the environment. 
And just other things like the parts they've got posters melting off the walls or whatever, you know, it's just incredibly challenging. Also, it totally destroys any notion you might bring as to what's actually inside the frame. We don't know what's inside the frame or what's been put there digitally, what's been manipulated. It totally speaks to what films are these days. You know, I mean, that's, you know, early 2000s, but, you know, we're in 2023 now. You've got really advanced CGI there. You've got actors acting against green screens. You're not sure what's there and what's not really there. You know, you've got Michael Snow already sort of, it's a bit of a prescient film or whatever, being able to see ahead of this and going, you know, this is where films are going. You know, these are the times you're living for videos. I mean, he was doing this all the way back in the 60s by trying to deconstruct a 45-minute Zoom and trying to, you know, make a pretend 45-minute Zoom look like a real one. And he's sort of doing the same thing here in Corbus Colossum, which is, I guess, what, 35 years later, exactly 35 years later. He's doing the uh, same thing, and they're looking at the way that the techniques that are available to him can sort of totally change our perception of what we're watching. So, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else I can say. A lot of it just feels like I'm just putting in, you know, random compliments, you know, best film of the century, film that I wanted to talk about but I couldn't describe. But, you know, I sort of feel that way about this film. It's just a totally overwhelming filming experience. And like you said there, it's incredibly funny also. Yeah, I, I think that anyone listening to that, uh, if they're at all inclined towards uh, experimental cinema, uh, will uh, will have you know their interest peaked because, like you say, it, it is such a uh, unique film. Even within Michael Snow's uh, filmography, you can see it's, so many ideas from his previous films that kind of work their way in here, uh, but they're done in a way that's far more accessible uh, as well. So it, if Maybe, maybe I think you told me once that you know this is the film. That this was the film that you started with for Michael Snow. Maybe it's the film everyone actually should start with for Michael Snow, uh, because it is his best film, and uh, at least for at least for me uh, and for you. So I really hope that it gains uh, momentum as as time uh, continues. Uh, it's already on uh, TSPDT's. Uh, best or most acclaimed films of the 21st century so that's that's a great great start uh, and let's let's see what uh, what happens now really and i think that that's the seven films we'll be uh, that, that we were meant to be talking about uh, today uh, is there anything else you would like to uh, mention Saul? no surprise ending no experimentation <laughs> No, look, I guess I'm just going to be predictable or whatever and just recap what I said earlier. You know, if you're somebody who's gone out there and decided I'm going to watch, you know, the Thousand Grows films and you've seen Wavelength and you've seen uh, Central Region, please don't give up there. You know, you're doing yourself a massive disservice, especially mm-hmm. if you're somebody who likes experimental cinema. And if you haven't begun with Michael Snow, then, yeah, I'd say Corpus Colossum's definitely the right place to start. It's where I started from. And... While it's not always great some of the director's best work, you know, it is rewarding because you can sort of see the films that build up to it. So, you know, Wavelength, when I first saw it, was a mild disappointment after this. Back and forth was a mild disappointment after Corpus Colossum. But when I went back and rewatched those films, you sort of see those things that he was sort of building towards in Corpus Colossum. So, yeah, I mean, it depends the way you want to go at it. But, you know, I'll say it's a pretty good place to start. I know if you start with Corpus Colossum, it's going to be a downhill road from there. But then it's not really like slanted downhill. It's like a slow, like gradual slope. Because none of his films, even Central Region, none of his films are bad films. 
They all, they all got the interesting things in there. Of course, Colossum is definitely the most dynamic thing that he's ever done. And, yeah, it's one of the most dynamic films that have been made this century. One of the most dynamic films, I guess, about this century, what you can do with film these days. And uh, that's another reason to watch uh, Corpus Colossum. So, uh, yeah, do give it a, a viewing if you're in all, at all inclined that way. And with that, I guess we can close this uh, highly experimental episode uh, of our own and see how it, uh, <laughs> how it comes out. Apologies again for any imperfections. And uh, just as a reminder, we are still on our... Uh, uh, our hiatus season four is well. This, I guess this is the first episode of uh, season four, but we will be back in uh, in February on a regular uh, biweekly uh, schedule. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and join us again soon. You have been listening to Talking Images, the official podcast of ICMForum.com.